Welcome to the Kershaw Podcast. A series of conversations with industry experts talking about how we supply and procure digital services. Hello and welcome to another podcast where we celebrate the eighth birthday of the digital marketplace. As we've seen in previous podcasts, we've looked at the origins of the digital marketplace, why it's created, and we're talking about the legal views of the digital marketplace and all the good stuff that that's created. We're talking today to Mark Delgano, Delivery Director, Create Change, who has been both a supplier to government. He's worked at the Government Digital Service. He, In fact, he was Delivery Manager there, working on some meaty governance programs, and he continues to be a supplier to the digital market. So he's seen both coming in, working in and actually servicing in now. And it's great to have him with us today. We've also got Warren Smith, Associate Director at Kershaw, who, as most of you are aware, was the Director of the Digital Marketplace for the majority of the time. It's great to have them both here. Mark, firstly, hello, welcome. And, you know, straight onto it, Digital Marketplace, is it a good thing for government? Thanks, David. Yes, it definitely is a good thing for government. It literally is a place where buyers and suppliers can get together in a shared space. What's good about it is buyers can access a few thousand suppliers who can help them deliver modern digital services and technology systems. So they don't have to go hunting around. They don't have to rely on just a narrow range of suppliers who may not be able to deliver modern digital services. They can access a lot of SMEs who know how to build these user-centered systems. So yes, it's a good thing for government. Are there any immediate improvements you think could be made? I think itself is a great example, a good user-centered government service and something that buyers should aspire to procuring and something that suppliers should aspire to building. But as with every government service, we should be iterating it as, you know, as user needs change or as technologies change. So I think there's a few things around the platform I would probably change. One thing that always is tricky is when a buyer never puts a budget in. I'm always keen to see budgets in tenders. So I would probably change that about the platform. I think another thing is around the wider service to the platform, around educating buyers in how to create good listings on the marketplace. There aren't many things you have to specify as a buyer when you put a listing on the marketplace, but there are still quite a few listings where it's very confusing to suppliers what the buyer actually needs. So something, you know, maybe from Crown Commercial Service or GDS to help buyers produce good quality listings or you know, another thing might be a better way, another way for suppliers to, to feed back to buyers and say, you know, we, we don't really understand what this listing is about. So I think any of those things could help. Warren, I'd like to bring you in now. You know, you were the former director of the digital marketplace. And are these improvements that Mark is suggesting accurate or are they just sort of nice to have that so he, he now wants as a supplier? Well, I think the very fact that Mark, as a supplier, is saying that these are things that would improve his experience, I think are absolutely valid and should be listened to. And that's the point of ongoing, continuous user research, engagement with the users, understanding what's getting in the way of them growing and thriving as an SME. I think this is fundamental. So I think that goes right back to core principles of user-centered digital delivery in government. So I think absolutely. I just wanted to pick up on a couple of the points that Mark you made around I think particularly like the education of buyers and helping to build capacity and capability 
I think that's a fundamental requirement that I know um, there's been some great work that's been carried out by, for example, the Crown Commercial Service, work that was led by Amelia Hogarth to establish and build the buying digital community. So this was very much focused around the users of the digital marketplace and the associated Crown Commercial Service and framework agreements. So that was really important to help not only shift the focus away from very detailed requirements, overly prescriptive to more outcomes-based statements of clearer and more concise statements of the problems that the teams are trying to solve and also very directly linking the outcomes and the problems to the needs of users. So that's, I think, quite a fundamental shift away from the very traditional approaches and buying digital community was quite instrumental in that and not only about helping to build that understanding of how to approach writing what's needed in terms of requirements, but also bringing together different people from different organisations, different sectors across the whole UK public sector to share their experiences of what's worked, what hasn't worked, so that there's not this kind of unnecessary duplication or people making the same mistakes that others have made. So I think that's a really, really important part of the capacity and capability building is to bring people together to share those experiences. So yeah, big shout out to Amelia for that work. Yeah, I think that's really key. You know, if government wants to learn stuff and develop and improve and have all these benefits that pioneering projects like the digital marketplace led, then more communities need to be created, but they also need to be sponsored by senior people so they actually can create the change that's happening. Mark, do you see that from a supply side? Is there a an appetite for suppliers to give their opinion on more improvements to how government procures? And are there barriers that you see to sort of speak about those and talk about those to government and local government in fact i think what's maybe missing is some sort of community for for suppliers that's mediated by ccs because it's in government's interest to have you know good quality suppliers and an ecosystem of suppliers not just a few big suppliers because they'll get better services and they'll get services delivered more cheaply there is a willingness in suppliers to do that you know suppliers talk to each other and they talk about their experiences of working with government and of using the marketplace there is a willingness there you know there are examples of crown commercial service doing that so i think they're redeveloping is it find attended at the moment so they put a call out for suppliers to do user research i think i was the first supplier to take them up on that look at a new uh, user experience prototype and give some feedback from the supplier perspective so i do think government maybe needs to engage a bit more with suppliers around understanding their needs and i think there is a willingness in the supplier community to get involved For those that follow posts that I make or blog posts that I publish, I'm trying to sort of demystify or elaborate perhaps on this concept of supplier. Many, many people just say, oh, it's a supplier. Well, actually, I think it's more than that. I think firstly, at one end, we have a provider who is interested in providing work or interested in providing work in the future. That provider may become a bidder. That bidder may become a successful or an unsuccessful bidder and only at that point they may become a supplier and then it also will be an existing or former supplier i think it's really interesting how many people in government just shout out that word oh supplier and there's never any 
thought behind what types of organizations sit behind that term. For me, there are various levels of that. There are those organizations who are providers, innovators who may be interested in supply and government now or in the future. They then may become organizations that are thinking about bidding and having easy access to information is really important. They may bid for public sector work and may become successful in that bid or unsuccessful. It is only then they become a supplier. And all those steps, I think, requires lots of communication and lots of understanding from the buy side. Again, the buy side can be procurement people, finance people, delivery managers, service managers, product leads, project managers, the taxpayer. There's so many different personas, I suppose, behind each of those. And I think we as procurement professionals should look into it a lot more. I'm curious to hear your views, Warren, on sort of transparency of the digital marketplace. That was definitely something you were leading at the time. And I know personally, you've got an interest in making sure public sector contracts and public sector opportunities and public sector spend is as transparent as it can be. Now, the digital marketplace got to a place where it was doing that. What were the building blocks behind that? And then, Mark, interested to see if that is actually really happening from a supply side point of view. I'm glad you asked that question, Bay, because it's a subject that's very close to my heart. I'm very passionate about it. You or listeners may or may not know that I was the sponsor who brought the Open Contracting Data Standard or OCDS through the very rigorous Open Standard Board review and approval process. So back in 2016, the OCDS was officially adopted as a government standard. Now, in that time, there has been some developments and improvements in terms of how OCDS as a structured data standard, a metadata standard has been incorporated into things like Contracts Finder and I know in Wales that they've also done similar things with regards to Sell to Wales platform, but I think much more could be done and appreciate that there are you know, always competing priorities and constraints on things like funding and how teams are supported to work on this, but I think I was very encouraged to see the inclusion of transparency and implementation of OCDS, not just in terms of procurement notices at the beginning and the end of a procurement, but actually throughout the entire commercial life cycle. So this provides a really, really important opportunity to bring transparency to plans before procurement is even launched. So pipelines of future activities that will eventually become procurement contracts, but also equally post-contract award, how implementation of contracts and service delivery is actually happening compared to what was anticipated at the procurement stage. So this is going to really elevate the UK's transparency in terms of public spending. I mean, but sadly, the UK is actually some way behind other governments in this regard. So we've seen some really, really good work that the Open Contracting Partnership have enabled in particularly like Latin America, Europe as well. Ukraine is actually amazing at this kind of thing with their ProZaro platform. So yeah, I think that it's really good to see a global community of open data advocates and campaigners helping to bring greater openness and transparency in this fundamental area because there's a staggering kind of relatively low level of openness in terms of public expenditure around the world. So yeah, I think this is an important area to not only build trust and confidence between civil society in its broadest sense and governments, but also to help overcome some of the more structural challenges of tackling corruption and bribery within the public procurement system. So yeah, I think OCDS is a really important standard, but equally and more recently, another data standard that I was involved with championing 
training, not solely, I did it with some colleagues as a collective, was the Beneficial Ownership Data Standard, which has also been approved by the Open Standards Board. And this is important because it helps to bring transparency around corporate ownership structures of organisations who are bidding and winning government contracts. So this is really important for things like helping to overcome issues where Shell companies are being set up to funnel illicit financial flows, often gained from illegal activities. So that's a really important part of the transparencies on the supply side of government contracting. I think much more can be done, but data standards are really fundamental to that. But equally, so is the culture of transparency and openness. Hey Mark, we heard from Warren his passion for transparency and open contracting, open commercial activities. And he also remarked about potentially we're no longer leading that work. Can you see that from a supplier side? Is transparency still as good as it was? And if not, what can government do to improve that? I think Warren and I are very much on the same page there. You know, as a provider, a supplier, and as a taxpayer, transparency is a good thing. And you talk, David, about the journey from providers to supplier. You know, we can have transparency all along that journey. So we can have published pipelines from public sector buyers. We can have pre-market engagement as part of the bidding process. We can get feedback if we're unsuccessful. You know, we can have meetings with buyers to tell us how we might have improved. I think that's the gold standard, really. And then, you know, we can see published contract values, the winning supplier, how much is being spent, what's the quality of the delivery. We can see all of that. We're not seeing a lot of that, really. And you asked about, you know, is it, are we getting better or worse? I've not measured this. My feeling is we're seeing a bit less of that on Marketplace. You know, we're seeing fewer contract awards being published there, even though buyers are obliged to do that, I think, by my cabinet office. So I don't think we're going forwards. I'm not sure we're going backwards there, but there's certainly a lot more that could be done on the buyer side to give transparency along the different stages of that provider to supplier journey. And Mark, it sounds like we're saying here that the foundations are there. They aren't sort of being washed away at all. They're still there. They're quite strong. Potentially nothing's been built on top of them. And we look across some of the things that you and Warren talk about in terms of transparency and the good stuff the digital marketplace has done in terms of data standards, publishing contract, publishing spend data, and creating a culture. Maybe it's the culture that hasn't been able to expand or hasn't been able to act in a way that other areas can can be more transparent in the way public procurement and public commercial activities should be open. Is that a fair remark to make, Warren, do you thought, or do you think I'm sort of getting on a bit of a thing here and saying that other categories of spend should follow what digital have done? No, I think you're right, David. I think what digital marketplace has done is show a way in terms of the expenditure through the two frameworks that it hosts, GCloud and Digital Outcomes Specialists, that a much more transparent way is possible. So it's great that we see the CCS spend data dashboard updated very regularly and on a weekly basis. And that's reporting of spend from that suppliers have said that they've received as a result of contracts awarded through those frameworks. So this should be celebrated. And I think I don't understand because I don't truly understand what complexities or constraints there may be behind the scenes. But why isn't such a dashboard being made available for other frameworks and other categories of expenditure? We know from the data that, for example, the digital marketplace accounts for over 60% of the total 
direct spend to SMEs through all CCS frameworks. And, you know, there are over 110, I think, currently listed on CCS's website, but digital marketplace accounts for just two of those, but <laughs> the majority of the direct spend with SMEs. So we only know that because the data is made transparent and it's available to anybody, the public, to interrogate, to ask questions and to hold government to account for its decision making. And that's really, really fundamental for, for trust between public organisations and civil society at large. And But also we can see through the data that the digital marketplace publishes for the digital outcomes and specialist framework where it's not actually a requirement within the platform as far as I recall for buyers to publish their contract award information. I think that's a voluntary, but we've seen just looking at the data that is published, there's been a gradual decline. At the height of the, I would say, the transparency heyday, it was between April to September 2018 and through to October to March 2020-21, where on average, the ratio between opportunities published and the award information updated was around 67, 68, 69%. The highest was in April to September 2020 when you had a 71% ratio of transparency. That's gradually declined with every six months that's passed. So now just looking at the six months between April and September 2022, you're looking at a 36% ratio. Now, while that's a voluntary feature that can be used by buyers, I think it needs this continuous push to encourage or enforce transparency to help with the broader transparency agenda. So this isn't just me saying that. I mean, that's my personal perspective, but as a perspective that's informed by data. And there are other global measures as well, like the, uh, the data barometer as well, which publishes information on a relatively regular basis. And you can see that the global rankings for different countries. And I think UK once was first, possibly dropped to, I believe, second place. Now, yeah, it's still up there. That's measuring a bunch of different things, not just procurement spend data transparency. This lack of transparency across multiple spend categories is problematic, I think. It's problematic on many levels. But if we come back to the digital marketplace, I think oh, the three of us could talk about public procurement and reform and transformation all day. But come back to the digital marketplace, let's consider what that openness and transparency has enabled. I think it's enabled better working together, better partnerships, which develops diversity, diversity in both the supply chain, provision of services, and also diversity in the world of government commercial. Mark, I don't know the answer to this, but Create Change, your firm Create Change, do you partner with other other organisations? And if you do partner with other organisations, does the transparency allow you to do that better? We do partner. And in fact, most of our work is in partnership. So we've got some specialisms. So we bring in partners to complement those specialisms. For example, we don't often do the technology build ourselves. We work with a lot of different tech partners. Does that transparency help us? Well, we can see who's on Marketplace. So that has enabled us to identify some potential partners. That's transparency there that's helped us partner. What would help with helping to form potential partnerships is that pipeline of future work. As long as that pipeline of future work describes sufficiently clearly about what that work is likely to entail, the kind of project or program it relates to, perhaps the vision and objectives of that project or program, then interested parties are looking to 
bid for that work can should be able to say, we can see that we possess, say, 60% of the required capability that would help deliver that project successfully. And we can also see where the 40% is likely to come from. As long as that data and that pipeline is published and then the buying organisations are convening regular conversations to talk about the problems they're trying to address, the outcomes they're trying to achieve, the research they've done, the work they've already carried out to help bring that kind of qualitative basis of the demand in addition to the data, my reckon is that that would be quite useful to the supply side to help them identify where they would partner also to help them develop their business models. And so are there areas that they might see are opportunities for expansion or to new services or capabilities or locations? So yeah, I think that's why I'm quite obsessed about the importance of transparency at the pre-procurement stage, but encouraging the use of that data to get people talking. So that came out of the young conference that we held recently. So yeah, I'd mark if that would be of use to you and the partners that you typically collaborate with. Yes, so published pipelines, technically published digital pipelines, where we are focusing pre-market engagement. We love that stuff, really, because it can help us plan sales activity and our partnering activity. If we know, say, Department for Education is going to be procuring user-centered design or a digital delivery contract in three to six months' time, we can go and find suitable partners to work with because we're likely to be unable to deliver all of that ourselves. You know, if it's a big contract, we're a small enterprise. Um, and it gives us a bit more confidence, I guess, in devoting sales time and business development time if we can see that pipeline. So, yes, that transparency is really useful to organisations such as ourselves. If I could just come in on that to celebrate some of the really good examples of that that I've seen very much relate to that, but not exclusively, the local digital declaration activities and the funding that comes from the local digital fund in the collaboration unit within the what's now the Department of Leveling Up Housing and Communities. They are very transparent around not only the fund, the calls for projects to submit for consideration for funding, but also the activity that then takes place as a result of that funding. And so the principles of the local digital declaration around collaboration, working in the open and aligning to things, the standards like the technology code of practice and the uh, service standard, I think are really key because they help set the expectations of what buy side and the supply side are working to. That's a really, really good example, which should be replicated, quite frankly. I think it's good to hear that such transparency and those kind of conversations, and I think it does really require conversation before the procurement is actually launched, is really important. I would love to co-design some procurements with buyers, with a bunch of other suppliers. That will work, you know, the government will get better outcomes, the buyer will get better outcomes, and the suppliers will get better outcomes. There was, if you indulge me, David, there was something I, I, I was going to pick up on on a point earlier. We talked a bit about maybe why some of this transparency data wasn't being published. A few years ago, I was privileged to work at a client in government where they asked me to lead a little team looking at how well things were going between delivery teams and what I call the enabling teams, the commercial, finance, estates, legal, comms teams. So we spoke to about 30 people. We had a few more people from the enabling teams than from the delivery teams. And it wasn't going well for anyone, really, the delivery teams couldn't work to these processes developed by these enabling teams and the enabling teams were saying well why can't these teams work to the processes we've developed but one thing that really stuck in my mind 
was a quote from our user research from someone in a commercial team. And they said, we used to be able to improve how we did things, but now we've barely got time to operate them. So due to various cuts and workload pressures, they couldn't adopt that continuous improvement approach that they had previously worked to. My hypothesis is a lot of these commercial teams are under a lot of load and publishing transparency data has fallen down the list as a result of that. I think that's really interesting. And I remember you and I spoke when you were in that project to give my perspective. And we hear quite often that sometimes there's a lack of appreciation between the different teams. And sometimes that leads to either conflict or friction or a serial relationship, certainly not coordinated or collaborative. And so each team doesn't really appreciate the constraints or requirements that the other team has to work within. And so inevitably leads to kind of elongated timescales, possibly outcomes that are inferior to what could be achieved through that collaboration. So I think it's a shame to hear that possibly because of lack of funding or funding constraints that teams aren't being given or being equipped or being given the space in which to do the right thing. Thank you very much to Warren and Mark for this conversation regarding the eighth anniversary of the digital marketplace. For me, I'm pulling out a few key themes here. We're talking about the positive progress that UK government had made in being more open and transparent with the way it spends taxpayers' money, allowing stronger collaboration, partnerships from the supply side, bringing greater diversity into building digital products and services. Those projects consisted of small to medium enterprises, large organisations, civil servants, niche suppliers and also day rate contractors and consultants. That multidisciplinary team creation was really quite something. We also touched on transparency and the importance of data standards, culture and publishing contracts and spend. And I think the biggest take for me is how, Mark, you were suggesting this idea about co-rating and co-drafting documents, tender opportunities. That's great. That's something that I personally would be excited to get involved in. And then perhaps a little shout out here for anyone who wants to get involved in doing that. I thank both of you, Mark Delgano, Delivery Director at Create Change, and Warren Smith, Associate Director at Kershaw, for joining me today. And I look forward to speaking to you both again about more of these subjects. Thank you both. I've been your host, David Kershaw. Thank you for listening. Subscribe and stay tuned for more.